last two weeks, Ryan has been teaching us with a lot of clarity and a lot of help about what it means to love our neighbor as well. Just taking Jesus quite seriously in that charge that this is at the center of living in the way of Jesus and then pressing into the layers uh, of what that actually looks like when we live it out. One of the things that Ryan said last week is that uh, loving your neighbor uh, often begins with empathy and empathy begins with listening. And so today we're gonna do some listening. Now I'm a person who, I would say like I love the city of South Bend authentically. Like I, when, I, when I say I love my city, I really mean I love my city. I like the exciting things that are happening in my city. I like the quirks in my city. I like the parts of my city that other people might make fun of or look at like with some kind of distance. I really love the city of South Bend. Uh, so it's authentic, but there's a certain kind of depth of love that you can't fake and you can't get there overnight, right? So like. You, you might go out on a, on a hot first date and you walk away, you're like, I love this person. And it's authentic, but it's not very deep. Do you know what I mean? And it's, the depth of love only develops uh, when those roots go down over history. And so I know personally, I feel that I want the authenticity of my love to get deepened with roots. And, and here's the good news. Uh, we can't microwave it, but we can borrow other people's roots a little bit. We can kind of get grafted into the depth of their love for the city. And so today we have the chance to learn from and listen to a couple of people. Uh, these two people that are coming up here, they, they strike me as sort of elders of our city, um, spiritual fathers. And uh, that's a phrase that you may not have heard before, but spiritual mothers and fathers. Um, the idea that like in the moment we're living in right now and the ways that we're trying to follow Jesus right now, we didn't come up with this from scratch today. We're not the first persons in South Bend to follow Jesus. We're not the first persons in our community to tap into the kingdom of God and to want to be a part of it. And so today is about learning from uh, two people who have gone before and have some things to teach us. And so I'm so excited. Uh, Sunday was very special, and I'm so glad we get to do it again. Uh, so I'll tell you who they are, and then you can welcome them to the stage. Today we get to learn from Edgar Cabello and Apostle Willie Coates. Will you guys come on up here? Welcome. Uh, let's just jump right into it. Edgar, tell me about uh, the early days of Edgar Cabello in the city of South Bend. Yeah, I grew up on the east side of South Bend, so I was a, a McKinley Mustang when I was a little guy, and um, then to Jefferson Junior High. We call it middle school back. Let me back up. Was that like an elementary school mascot? Yeah, the, the McKinley Mustang. I didn't know elementary schools had mascots. That's oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Yeah. It was probably made of paper mache. It wasn't like the full out <laughs> feathers and okay. horse fur. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, so grew up beside, graduated Adams High School, um, you know, grew up just like three quarters of a mile south of university. Yeah, any East Siders in the room? Yeah, go Eagles. Come on, any, right? any River Parkers? Right. Yeah, a little Everybody bit of that, should. all right. I'm an East Sider, I'm a River Parker, I'm with you. Right so, on. and grew up in a pastor's home, yeah. um, was, was one of the, like, the Christopher Columbus Latinos in South Bend. There were not <laughs> a lot of us back then. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I was a lot different than my classmates. I grew up with white and black kids mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, because my dad was a pastor, I was a little bit, diff a little bit more different yet. You know, went to church a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that was kind of my experience. I grew up a, a Christian kid yeah. um, on the east side of South Bend um, and uh, grew up listening to the band practice the, from Notre We could hear it from our house, you know, while we were having dinner. So... Yeah, and I, I still live in the same zip code. I, I'd moved around a couple times in between, but I've landed back in 46617. Yeah. Um, and uh, still remember my phone number when we had landline, you know, way back when. And um, 
So yeah, and I, I love this town, and I had a couple of opportunities along the way to you know, get out and go someplace south, um, which I always thought I wanted to do, and I ended up saying no to because my heart felt compelled to stay, to yeah. stay home. So, so here I am. This place has a gravity on you. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. Can't explain it. I love that. Uh, Willie, tell us about young Willie in South Bend, man. He's east side. I was west side, far, far west side. West side. Mm-hmm. Went to Harrison Junior High School, which is on Western Avenue, and then went to Washington High School, the only high school in the city. <laughs> we, hey, almost had a, we almost had to like interrupt a bit of a rivalry on Sunday yeah. here. So. Washington Panthers. Okay, the Panthers. We, we, All right. Hey, me and you. We, we were the Panthers. Um, and uh, interesting, about uh, my neighborhood was pretty much all black, uh, at least when we moved further west. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the school, Washington High School, which is now predominantly African-American and Hispanic, at the time I was going to school there, my graduating class, there were only eight blacks out of 200 students huh. and only one Hispanic, I think, at that particular time. So South Bend's been changing and changing and changing. Yeah. And um, it's exciting. When did you graduate high school? 1964. Yeah, so long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen a few things. Yeah. Yeah, I want to keep going in your story a little bit. So take me to like the end of high school and the next few years. What's going on in your life? What are you tapping into? What are you seeing? 64. Went to Ball State Teachers College. Um, thought I was going to do something with music, and uh, my roommate was from Gary Roosevelt, Gary, Indiana. So he's coming from an all-black city, pretty much, and an all-black high school. I'm coming from this almost all-white high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a weird, weird thing because they, they didn't accept me, these black students from Gary, Indiana, because my culture was mixed. I had this kind of a white thing. I could talk like white people talked. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Full, full Carlton Banks action, anyone? Uh, uh, Fresh Prince, anybody? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did I lose you guys there? So, Sorry. so that was interesting. I stayed at Ball State for about a year and a half, left there, did not like that experience. This is during the civil rights era. So this is 1965, 66. It's also the anti-war era. Mm -hmm. And it's also the flower power era. It's all of this activity going on in the United States, all this shakeup going on. Mm -hmm. So I was being shook. They were drafting guys out of college at that time. You had to take a test. You had to test in the higher percentile. Otherwise, you'd get drafted to go to the Vietnam War. Didn't want to do that. So I went to the Marine Corps, joined the reserves. Uh -huh. And in the Marine Corps Reserve, when I went to boot camp, I met a guy from Chicago. He introduced me to a book called Autobiography of Malcolm X, and that just shifted my whole world. Yeah, what did that book do to you? Why did it grab you? I identified with Malcolm. Malcolm was a hero. Malcolm was his own man. He was self-taught, and um, he cared deeply about transformation of this world of ours, and he was willing to give his life for it. Yeah. Died yeah. at age 39, assassinated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, um, you spend your 20s... Uh, channeling some energy uh, to, to try to change things, to make a difference. Tell us what shape that took. Well, you know, when I was probably six or seven or eight years old, I can't remember, I remember asking my dad, though, why do people have to be poor? Hmm. When I think back on that now, I think, well, that's crazy. At seven, eight years old, you should not be thinking about why do people have to be poor. But that was somewhere deep down in here from a very, very early age. And so that whole social justice piece stirred me deeply. Hmm. In fact, when I got old enough to leave church, and we didn't talk about the whole church thing that really marked my life, but yeah. when I got old enough to leave church, I left it primarily because it didn't seem to address those issues. Mm -hmm. I felt like the world needed transformation when I was a very young guy. And what, so what was church for you growing up? Describe that for us. 
Church was, first of all, Pentecostal and black. And maybe you don't know much about that, but it was a lot of uh, Holy Ghost expression. It was a lot of emotion. It was a lot of serious spirituality. There were a lot of signs and wonders and miracles, but there was also a lot of crazy stuff that went on, you know. And uh, we went to church all the time. So Sunday morning church, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd start. Stay there till about 3, 3.30. The sermons many that's, times. That's one service? One service. Okay. Many times the sermons would last two and a half, three and a half hours. That was so you not... guys have been getting off easy around here. <laughs> yeah. So that was not unusual at all. And then yeah. we'd turn around and come back at 7 o'clock at night for the YPWW. That's Young People Willing Workers. Okay. And I don't know how willing I was, because I, I didn't have a choice in the matter. You know what I'm saying? That was the first time you got drafted. Uh, yes, that was the first time I got drafted. So when I had an opportunity to leave that and do my own quote-unquote thing, I, I really went on a journey to try to find what am I all about? What am I after? What, what is it that motivates me, and how do I find that and get in that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Um, Edgar, take me to uh, how you start channeling your energy out of high school, college, like when you jump into work, what are you doing? Yeah, so um, I, I always saw myself in the, in the business world, so I, I came out and I, I went into advertising, marketing type of thing and um, had gotten married, did a, kind of a, a whole strange thing, um, didn't quite finish school but got married, then I finished school um, and started in the workplace, you know, it was a big whirlwind of, of activity, we're already having kids and that whole thing, right? Uh -huh. So. Um, I'm doing all of these things simultaneously. It's not a good plan, kids, okay? <laughs> um, but but it's, it's how it worked for me. And so there were a lot of things that were in motion. And, and also around that time is when I began to, to really become more serious about my faith. I had decided, you know, kind of late my teen years, 1920, that I was going to follow Christ. I really was. Even growing up in a pastor's home, I mean, I, I got saved a lot, but a lot. I, I had a lot, yeah, <laughs> often. And... Um, and I don't know exactly when it caught, but I knew when I was 19 I needed to make a conscious decision, and I did, um, to really follow in the way of Christ. And so that expression was kind of building and catching momentum, and, um, and I was getting way more at home in that um, in, in a lot of ways, but, but still, you know, pretty immersed in the kind of culture I was used to growing up, growing up in. So... Um, so yeah, and, and that... And what was that culture for you? That, well, it was a lot like Willie's, except for in Spanish. <laughs> we call it full contact church, right? So very... Uh, we, we sit on Sunday right here, it's kind of like touch football, like, and that's like a different thing. As anything goes, man, you know? Um, it's very Pentecostal, it's very emotional, it's, it's uh, um, yeah, long church services and long altar calls and things like that. And, and you get saved, like, every week, because you know you did something in the middle of that week that was going to, you fell out of his grace. But anyways, uh, I know I did. So, um, so I grew up like that, you know, and it was, it actually felt pretty unstable to me. And, and it took me a long time, I think, to really come to know a, a God that wasn't just always disappointed in me and the things that I decided to do like between Sundays. Um, so, um, so yeah, you know, it was in all of this that I really started to feel an affinity for what my dad had done. And even though I didn't really like the fact that he was a pastor growing up, it was pretty inconvenient for my lifestyle. Um, I just kind of felt the call at, at some point, you know, in, in well into my 20s, kind of late. I had already gone to, you know, uh, university and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't, I didn't do Bible college or anything like that. 
I, I was kind of had my mindset on business, but um, along the way, I really felt like God was calling me to, to do his work, which the expression that I was familiar with was church work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you end up spending like 20 years? So it got started because um, I was going to Calvary Temple at the time, yeah. and the pastor um, asked me to fill in for a youth pastor who was moving on. He said, listen, Edgar, just give me six or eight weeks, and that, that turned into 25 years. Yeah, 25 um, years. Yeah, so, And this you know, is Calvary, which became... Southgate, yeah, yep, so on the very south end of town. If you guys ever go to, like, Showplace 16, the movie theater down there, right, uh, between Maine and Michigan, right? Yep. That big round brick facade church right there, that's your church yep, for across from the bowling alley. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, so I was 15 years there as an, a, a student ministries, an associate, and then for 10 years I was also the senior pastor until 2014. Yeah, right on. Willie, uh, talk to me a little more about um, 17 to 35. You're not, you're not unpassionate about things. The passion's the thread that runs through it, but what's the, what's the form of that passion then? You read Malcolm X, you see what's going on in the world. Yeah, I, I, I really felt like, and of course I still do, that the world needed revolution. It needed total transformation. And the more I studied Malcolm and studied the Panthers and studied the Nation of Islam and other so-called radical groups, uh, the more I felt like there was a place for me in those groups. So I got involved in the movement, uh, connected with a guy out of New Jersey, Amiri Baraka, who was heading up a, a revolutionary group then, and uh, stayed with that for a number of years. And it served me really, really well, I felt. Um, my dad had a stroke. My dad was a pastor. People told me all of my days, all of my growing up days, you're going to be like your dad, you're going to be a pastor. And I used to always say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And so for quite a long time, I wasn't. And it looked like I wasn't going to become that. But my dad had a stroke. He was pastoring at three churches, had one in Saginaw, Michigan, one here in South Bend, one in Michigan City. He pastored all three at the same time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he was a great, great man. I'm tired just thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he, and he got tired. So he had a stroke at a very early age, and he was no longer able to pastor the church. And so people pulled on me and pulled on me. I left out a whole lot of stuff, a lot of years in there, a lot of activity. But ultimately, I made a decision because I saw somebody on television one day. His name is Kenneth Copeland. And I heard him talking about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know, I probably had heard somebody preach about that early on in my growing up years, but it certainly hadn't settled. But suddenly there was an epiphany and I was like, oh, wow, this is revolutionary. And I'd always been taught in the movement days that in order to make revolution, you have to have a revolutionary ideology. Mm -hmm. And I felt when I heard that word and those words, Wow, that's the revolutionary ideology right there yeah, that I've been looking for. Tell us more about that. And maybe, maybe give us a little before and after. So maybe before that, that clarity, that epiphany, how would you have described what you apprehended about the Christian story, the yeah. Jesus story, and then the, le the after? How would you yeah, describe be that? Be saved, uh, a lot of which was don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, don't dip, don't chew, and don't go out with girls that do. Half our church just figured out they're not saved. Yeah, so see? We're going to talk about that later. I'm so, sorry. So, so, so that was the emphasis. So... <laughs> You know, get saved and stay saved yep. so that you can die and go to heaven. Yeah. Yep. But here I heard somebody talking about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, these natural things in the earth realm, they'll get added to you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about those. They're coming, but seek first God's kingdom. Yeah. 
And so then I added to that the, the scripture that Jesus told his disciples about, thy, here, here's how you ought to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I felt like, wow, that's revolution. Because I think maybe I thought to myself, well, the devil's not going to like that if we establish <laughs> his kingdom on earth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so something about that spoke of warfare. And so over the course of the 18 years that I'd left church and didn't want anything to do with church and I was studying revolution, what have you, I thought about a lot about warfare because Malcolm said revolution is about bloodshed and you're afraid to bleed. I thought, well, I'm not afraid to bleed. I'm willing to bleed for the cause, you know. So my head was, when, when I heard Kenneth Copeland talk about Seek for His Kingdom, my head was in a different space. I was in, if we're not going to be serious about it, why should we even start? Yeah, yeah. Tell me this, um, when you describe the era, you're, you're in your 20s and 30s, you're uh -huh. describing like me being a bit, you know, uh, green here, right? Like I can, think of, I can think of sort of stereotypical headlines from that era in the world, um, national, international, I can kind of I have this vague sense of the world then. But um, you, you feel this revolutionary energy, the world's not the way it ought to be. But I also gather it wasn't just the world, I mean you have a particular place which is South Bend. Can you talk a little bit about the, the local iteration, the, the particularity of how you saw some of what was broken playing out here? What, what were you pushing against locally? Well, locally, racism was real, real strong. And segregation in our city was very, very strong. Um, 1967, there was a riot in South Bend. Same year that there was a riot in Detroit that they just made a movie about, the Detroit riot. Uh, very strong riot in this city. I mean. Nobody got killed. Guy got his leg shot off. I'm standing from here to Edgar when that happened. Police shot him as he was running from the police. Uh, so a lot of madness going on back in that time, you know. Um, the, the demographic was so different then. Uh, probably the black population might have been seven, eight percent of the city at the time. We're now closer to 26, 27, and some say even almost 30 percent. And the Hispanic, I'm, I'm not sure, 14, 15, maybe even higher yeah. than that. So that has made a large difference. Mm -hmm. uh, not enough of a difference, but it's made a large difference. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, hopefully the city has been paying attention to the need to minister to the least of these. Mm -hmm. Because the African-American population in our city is still the most underserved, along with the Latino segment of the population, the most underserved, even though the numbers are higher, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are more of us and seem like those are the fastest growing population groups in our city, but the service is still lagging behind. Yeah. So, uh, so Willie, you, uh, your father has a stroke, yes. and, then, and in this story, that happens, and you have this revelation about the revolutionary nature of this yes. thing. So then you step into this kind of work, uh, today you describe yourself as apostle. Now, I came from traditions that wouldn't have used that word in the, in the modern mm -hmm. era. We, we, figured, we just had some guys in the Bible that used that word. Uh, can you tell us what that word means for you and, and why it describes your calling, I, I think, for quite a while now, right? Yeah. Well, I pastored for a number of years, pastored at my dad's church for eight years, six, six seven, eight years, eight years maybe. Uh, and then left there, thought I was done, and then I pastored another church for about 25 years. Yeah. Where were these churches here in town? Uh, both in South Bend, one at 415 West LaSalle, just about six blocks from here, downtown. Yeah. The other was, first of all, downtown, and then we moved to uh, Mishawaka for a season, and then moved again, finally, 933 North. Yeah. Uh, 
um, in near the Roseland area. Um, and so, I mean, I love people, so it was not, it was not a struggle for me to pastor, Mm -hmm. but I knew from the very beginning that was not my primary calling or grace, that my concern was always broader than a local congregation, one specific church group. I cared about all the churches and I cared about all of the city. And like Edgar, there was a season in which I thought, I'm going to leave South Bend, maybe move to Indianapolis, or maybe go to Atlanta, you know. But God, he knew that was not where he wanted me. Now, I wasn't even talking to God at the time, but I kind of knew, no, that's not where I'm going. And so I've been here all of my life, 70 years, going on 71, right here in South Bend. And it's home, because God has assigned me this territory. So that's my measure of rule, my sphere of influence. It's right here in South Bend. And say and more about the assignment. What, what is the assignment? For my you? assignment is, number one, to care about this city, the entirety of the city. And because I care about it, number two assignment is pray for the city. Mm-hmm. Intercede on behalf of the city. Make friends in the city with other pastors, other leaders. Establish strong relationships and network other men and women of God. So you guys both, um, years in church, years in South Bend Church, which means that um, maybe both in the churches that you led and worked with, but also the other churches that you, were, that you knew in the city, um, you've probably seen some great examples of church communities that do good neighboring, and you've probably seen some examples of church communities that don't do good neighboring in the ways that we can go either direction. Um, Edgar, let me start with you. Can you talk a little bit about just what you see as the difference for churches that want to do that well or not? I think most of our churches are built around a, a particular brand of theology, okay? So if you're a Methodist or if you're like Church of God in Christ or you grew up Assemblies of God like I did, um, you, you, there's a lot of protectionism around your theology. We believe these things, and so we're going we're gonna to fight like crazy to make sure that we don't forget the Holy Ghost or that we don't um, forget about the altar call. And we make these things that are, frankly, in my opinion now, peripheral, we make them central, mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think most churches are, are built on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the opportunity, you know, for this church in particular, and what I think um, is more of a biblical model of how to build a church, how to plant a church, is to build it around a love for a location. Huh. I mean, we even see that in the New Testament when, when Paul speaks to churches, he's really speaking to cities. He's speaking to city churches. Yeah, yeah. Right? The church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, yeah. the church at Rome. I mean, he's speaking to churches in a, in a locale. Yeah. And so um, I think that's a better way. Rather than to protect a theology, it's to love a city. Yeah. And so it, when it's built around that as the centerpiece, then I think you're, you'll never stray too far mm-hmm. from the heart of God. So I, I think what most churches is, in, in terms of neighboring, is and it's hard to neighbor well when you're built around a theology rather than keeping your eyes open to what's happening in my neighborhood and what's happening in my city. As you just said, if it's true that Latinos now are making up in the mid-teens, 15, 16, 17% of the, of, of the local population and then blacks are edging towards 30, then now we're looking at almost half of our population is non-white. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Then there's other, and then there's those of us that are just ethnically ambiguous, like my children. Um, <laughs> And, and so what are we going to do about that? And that's what happened to us at Southgate. Our neighborhood was quickly changing around us, but we were a white middle-class church with a Mexican pastor now. What am I going to do about that? 
Yeah. And so I, I, I had grown very fond of some teaching by some sociologists that come out of Rice University that had caused me to take another look at the book of Acts. The only reason in my church that we looked at the book of Acts is to figure out again that we need the Holy Ghost all over again. That's why we looked there. So it was when we talk about the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, it was about what happened. When I went back and looked at it again as I was getting older, it was like, who was there? It wasn't even, it's not that what happened didn't matter. It absolutely did matter. But we weren't paying attention to who was there and where they were coming from. And then what happened as the Spirit of God took over and how it brought all people from all nations speaking all different languages and brought them together, we weren't paying attention to that piece. Mm -hmm. And I felt compelled and gripped mm -hmm. to do everything in my power to build something that looked more like that. Yeah. And so my, my passion was built around that and I felt the best way that we could neighbor our community well was to become more like them is to open our doors and to, to roll out the red carpet, if you will, yeah. to people that were not like us and as, as a community. And we saw a lot of change happen um, during those years at Southgate and still remains a very ethnically diverse church. Yeah. And, um, and, it's, and it's maybe the most satisfying thing that ever happened for me in church life. Yeah, I know that passion um, took you to another uh, expression, an another vision soon. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But Willie, um, what about you? Like churches neighboring well, not neighboring well, what do you see or want to add to what Edgar said? Uh, not much to add except, I mean, when I watched what you were doing, you were planting flowers, your congregation was, all over the city and stuff. And I thought, that's weird. What, what is that about, you know? <laughs> Wait, were you really planting flowers? Was that a thing? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, you guys did that, right? When you were pastoring. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was unique, that they took that on as a project. I mean, it had, I don't know what that had to do with his Sunday attendance. I don't think he was trying to see how many people he'd get to join his church. They were actually showing that we care about the city. We care about the landscape in the city. And so they began to plant flowers, you know. Uh, I grew up like he grew up. You know, we, we were more concerned about our theology and protecting our theology and believing that there's only about 10 people who are saved and who are going to go to heaven, yep. and nine of them are in our group, and right. I, I don't know where we're going to find the other one. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, it is real deep stuff, real competitive stuff, real crazy stuff when you really think about God and the vastness of the fields. The fields are white under harvest. I don't want to start preaching, but I feel that. <laughs> the fields are white under harvest. I mean, this whole city is waiting for somebody who wants to embrace it, love it, and harvest it and bring it in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we've not, from what I've known about church in my 70 years here, we've not done a good job as the church in really neighboring the neighboring communities around us. We've just not. Not been our focus. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Edgar, um, uh, you move on from Southgate, and, you, and that, that thing stays with you, I think, right? Um, the diversity of the church, and, and, and you, you end up having a new vision for a new church in South Bend. And, you, and this is kind of a really fun behind-the-scenes story that this community hasn't heard. Um, tell us what you were dreaming about. Well, what I thought I was dreaming about was, um, so I did, I did leave Southgate in the summer of 14, and um, as I mentioned, you know, I had some opportunities to go away from the area and just never felt like that was what I was supposed to do, so we stayed put. And um, about a year or so down the road, you know, we're like 
always felt like maybe I'd, I'd gotten an affinity for church planting. I really saw the need for church planting. Maybe the thing that drove me the most was that church plants really have an effectiveness that existing churches don't have to reach unreached people groups within their communities, right? Um, generationally, even locationally, and so forth. And so I got excited about that. Like, let's, you know, let's take this thing, you know, to people that... So I thought about starting a church. And, and so we started down that path, started raising money, pulling a team together, kind of like what you guys did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, well, I gave too much information just now. Um, but so, and, and, and it started to build. And I just discovered along the way that, that, you know, there were people that were really starting to get excited about it. Um, and the one person that I knew who wasn't excited about it was me. Huh. And, um, and so that's not a good thing when the church planter is not excited about his church. <laughs> and so, I mean, I would try to keep taking steps and like, don't, I mean, I've done this church pastor thing for a long time. I know how to do this. And um, I finally came to the conclusion, we came to the conclusion, um, my wife Cynthia and I, that um, this is not our assignment. We thought it was, it felt right, it felt familiar. I, I think our motives were right, but it's not, it's not our turn to carry the ball right now. And so we laid that dream down um, so you can still find us on Instagram, actually. It's called, it's called City Church South Bend. <laughs> this is true. Um, this is true. It's called City Church South Bend. <laughs> yeah. And th- so the way, so, so, so that's going on in Edgar's world. Uh, this dream breaks into my life for South Bend City Church. And uh, like, I, I, like any startup, the first thing you do is you Google it to make sure the domain is yours, right? <laughs> so I Google South Bend City Church, and I discover there's a new church coming to town called City Church South Bend. And I think I should probably, like, learn more about this, right? Um, and I think there was maybe a countdown clock that had gone to zero or something like that on the website. I, I just, I, but I figured out, I'm like, who's behind this? And Edgar and I, at this point, we don't know each other, but we do know each other. But, like, the way that pastors in town kind of know each other, but not really, you know? And so, so I call Edgar. So Jason calls me out of the blue one day, and it just happened to be a few days after we decided that we're going to, like, abandon this thing. And... Um, and he tells me, <clears throat> so he says, so tell me about, you know, um, City Church South Bend. <laughs> you still get those two confused. I don't know why. Um, and so, and I'm like, Jason, it's, it's over, man. Like, we just decided a few days ago to lay this thing down. It's like, we're not going to do it. I just, I just didn't feel right and so forth. So then he, short, long story short, is he, he starts to talk to me about this thing that he's carrying in his heart for um, South Bend City. And I'm like man, I just think somehow, strangely enough, God is in this. And it's not that, so I, for me, it felt like, I felt really horrible, honestly, that I was abandoning this thing called a dream to plant a church. It's funny, because mm-hmm. we, we did um, a, a whole bunch of stuff at a church here in town where um, we did all of our meetings there, and, 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 you know, everybody was, people were starting to watch us do this thing, and all yeah. of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I tapped out, like, before we even got started. Huh. And, um, and, and so... Um, so we laid this thing down, and, and I, I tell Jason, I was just like, man, I really think you're the one. And at that point, this thought really occurred to me, and it was like, I really didn't trust myself enough to not do what I had always done before. Hmm. I had felt so strongly that, that our city needs a fresh expression and demonstration of the gospel of Christ, and I just didn't trust myself to be the person to carry that. And when I heard from Jason, I just thought, this is the guy, and I, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, I, and I don't have to get into it right now, but 
I said, Jason, I think you're the ram in the thicket. You know, I think you're God's, this, is, this was the sign from God that I needed to know that it's okay to tap out and be at peace with myself. Mm-hmm. So we, we're kind of joined in a way that's a little unorthodox, yeah. but it's kind of ser- it served to put our hearts at peace yeah. and perhaps it served to kind of spur you on, you it know, did, that man. there's some gas behind this thing that was already in motion, perhaps. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, um, I think it's easy to talk about a calling um, or a vision as like something that you have. Like I have a calling, you have a calling. Um, but this is one of the more pointed experiences in my life that's taught me that like I don't, I don't have a calling, the calling has me. Like, you know, like we don't possess our callings or they possess us. And if, if we believe what we would say we believe as a community about the kingdom of God um, and about the presence of God, like it's funny, like it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, an unexpected story, but I don't know if it should be unexpected that, that more than one of us would be on the same wavelength. And it just reminds me, South and City Church, that this isn't ours, right? It's, and we, we get to be a part of it. It has us. We don't get to have it, if you know what I mean. And so, um, um, Edgar, you were so uh, generous in just kind of handing off blessing and um, making a young guy like me feel like I'm not crazy and, um, and feeling really supported. Um, and, you, and you shaped our vision in ways that this church doesn't know about because you're the first person, and I feel, like, uh, I feel a bit ignorant, um, I, I, I feel a little embarrassed that it wasn't until you and I talked, but you quickly shared your vision. You, it was very explicit for you that a diverse city needs a diverse church. And um, that, that was a first light bulb moment for me as I thought about what Stop and City Church was going to be. Um, so yeah, I was just uh, enormously grateful, and it's fun to share that story with, with Stop and City Church. Um, Willie, uh, so not long after this conversation, um, we're kind of getting things together for South and City Church, and a, and a member of our church community here, uh, another Ryan, Ryan White-Stevens. Um, Ryan's a, a bridge builder who has a huge passion for the connection of what's happening in the city here for uh, the kingdom of God, and so he builds a bridge between Ryan Yazel and me, and you and other leaders that you gather here in the city. Um, so will you tell us a little bit about what you guys do on Mondays, and then how we got to be a part of that? Um, actually started with conflict between three leaders, and uh, we, the Holy Ghost being wise, was able to bring us to the table and bring us on our knees, and we began to pray, and we got resolution of the things that were keeping us apart. Out of that, we started praying together once a week. So three guys, no other agenda, just pray. Pray for the city. And then God began to add other people, other leaders, to that what we now call a round table. So we were meeting once a week on Mondays for two hours to pray about the city. One hour. We started with one hour then added another hour, and then added another day. So Mondays we do that, Wednesdays we do that. And like I said, God has just continually added people to that. So they come from all different backgrounds, all kind of theologies and what have you. And it's wonderful because we don't all think alike. One of the things that I've always said to the people that come to the table, you can come with your own mind and you can leave with your own mind. We don't force you to leave your mind with us or to change your mind and adapt our mind. Um, and it actually works. It's like the day of Pentecost. People from all over the world, different expressions, but everybody there together. So that's kind of what that table's been like. And it's been challenging, but it's been intriguing as well. So Ryan it brings you guys to the table one day. And um, we already knew a little bit about the church. We had heard. But it was such a beautiful thing because I felt your heart. And I think the guys around the table felt your heart. And so we said, has anybody got any oil? And 
Somebody had some oil, and so we got some oil, and we slapped oil on their heads. <laughs> Not knowing how they might feel about that, you know what I'm saying? That's that full contact religion <laughs> Edgar was talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it was greasy. There's no question about it. It was greasy. Oil flowing all down into their eyes and stuff. But it was beautiful. It was. They knelt down before us, and, and we were humbled by the whole thing. I mean, it was, it was just a moment in God. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I, I got to say, so... Uh, get invited to this meeting with um, leaders in our city I've never met before. Um, I know a little bit about your reputation and your stature in the city, and I'm honestly a little intimidated. Like, I don't know what to expect. I'm a little self-conscious about the fact that I'm like this young white kid who's um, maybe a bit audacious to be like, yeah, I'm going to put a new church in this city. You know, like, I'm feeling some of that insecurity, and I just don't know what to expect. And we walk in uh, to your meeting, and... Um, um, Yeah, just um, get knocked over with blessing and generosity and welcome. And I've lived in the city for over a decade, but, but I, I, so it's like I don't feel like I need to welcome to the city, but I hadn't lived in, um, in the circles of the kingdom of God in the city of South Bend. My work was outside the city of South Bend. My ministry was. And, um, and Willie, I was so, um, I walked out very different from the way I walked in. And, and like my conversation with you, Edgar, just um, encouraged and um, really amazed at how not alone we felt. And um, it was a defining moment. I, I know for me, and I think Ryan would say the same, um, as we started to do this work together. And so I'm just uh, unbelievably grateful for that. And I'm glad that we can tell the story here as a church because you guys need to know, same thing with Edgar's story, like that, that this isn't just ours, that we're in this together with our neighbors and with our fathers, with the elders here in the city who um, who offered that to us. We really don't want you to have to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, uh, so here we are, and uh, we're South Bend City Church, and we want to be good neighbors. We want to live individual lives of good neighboring, and we want to be a church that lives a life of good neighboring. We want to love the city well. And so, um, Edgar Willie, like, I'm grateful that we feel... Um, like, I just, I walk away from my time with you guys feeling, I personally just feel a little more rooted in the city of South Bend, a little more rooted in its history. I feel a little more in love with the city of South Bend because of your love. Uh, I think we started on Sunday by saying this, but Donald Miller has this book called Blue Like Jazz. And in the very beginning of it, he says, sometimes the best way to love something is to watch somebody else who loves it first. And I feel that with the two of you and the way that you've just uh, given yourself to this city. Uh, so to me, it just feels really appropriate that it's kind of one more move in this conversation. I just, I, I warned the Sunday crowd, these guys are preachers, and I didn't know what we were in for exactly. Um, I want to give you a chance to exhort us, to speak to us, just talk to us. Um, what do you hope South and City Church will be? Because you love the city, you love God, you love God's kingdom, and I know you love us. Out of all of that, um, Edgar, let me start with you. What do you hope we will do and become, what do we need to hear tonight? Yeah, I kind of sing the same note, <laughs> you know, every time. And um, I, what I would love to see, maybe this is the best way for me to say it, what I would love to see is um, 12 months and 24 months and 36 months from now that this church just looks radically different. That Sunday morning services and the Tuesday night services and all, if you know, there are others as well, that this community becomes more and more diverse. Mm -hmm. um, that becomes a, a mirror reflection of our city. Mm -hmm. 
And um, because a diverse city like, like South Bend needs a diverse church. And, and there's a price to pay with that. There really is. And you and I have talked about mm -hmm. that. Decisions to be made. There's a, it's, it's a conscious decision. It's not something that just happens arbitrarily. Um, you'll notice it in high school lunchrooms. You can have diverse communities when you look at the statistics. But if you want to find out where people are hanging out, just go to lunch. Right? And you see the black kids over here, and you see the Latino kids over here, and you see the white kids here, and you see the jocks, and you see the nerds, and sometimes they mix. But people of color flock together. Yeah. And, um, and, and Sunday morning and church gathering time in general is still the most segregated time in the United States. And the church has a unique opportunity to change that. The church has a unique opportunity to fix something that's been broke for a long, long time. Yeah. And I pray, my prayer for this church is that it would model that, demonstrate that more and more each and every day. Man, and thank you, Edgar. Um, church, you need to know that, like, not only do we hear that, um, but we have lots of conversations. They don't always make it into the gathering, but we know that, like, that doesn't just happen by wishing, right? It happens through learning and working and reaching out to our neighbors. And, um, and Edgar's an example of a voice that we've been trying to learn from from the beginning about how to do that. So I, I just want to kind of put on the table just so we think about as a community, that's not something that we just hope to attain. It's something that we understand that we need to work toward. And, uh, and, and we want to keep doing that um, because when we see things so broken along lines of race in our world, you know, I don't know that, I, I don't know to what extent we can affect everything out in the world, but as a starting point, we, I know we can take responsibility for what we're building here and whether it's um, a place of healing for some of that kind of stuff. So thank you, Edgar. Willie, what do you want to say to us, Apostle Coates? You know, I want to say what I said Sunday. I don't know. I, I love what Edgar said. It sums up everything that I think about this city and about what you guys are facing and have determined to take on. This is a giant. You start talking about breaking down the walls of race that have kept us divided for all of these years and seemingly more divided than ever before now. Um, it seems insurmountable. It's not. It's not. It can be done. This city is called to be a model city. Back in the days, in the 1960s, the Lyndon Johnson anti-poverty movement, um, they had a bunch of model cities throughout the United States. Not a bunch, relatively a small number by comparison to how many cities there are. Maybe there were 20 model cities. South Bend was one of those model cities. There were certain criteria that you had to meet. And... Um, I think that that calling, while it was Lyndon Johnson talking about it at that time, I think it's a God-breathed calling upon our city. I really do. I think God wants this city to be a model for the nation and for the cities of the world. And that's going to take, first and foremost of all, that picture that we talked about, that picture that you can see right here. My brother over here looking like an Indian almost. Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at you. I'm like, my God, you look like an Indian. Well, but I know, yeah, so the Mexican thing is, is Spanish, Spanish and native sometimes. It means mixed. Mexican actually means mixed. Yeah, it means Indian. mixed. That's what I thought. I did not know that. Did yeah. Anybody, I, I won't ask you, but. So I'm feeling. It kind of looks like that even, right? But this <laughs> picture, and a picture is worth a thousand words. This is the picture of what it's got to look like and we have to be intentional about it or else it won't happen. There's no magic in it. We just have to make that determination. 
and there will be blood, no question about it, because, I mean, this is the touchstone of what happens in America that is really vital. So we get to model that. The whole world's waiting on the church. We are the only ones with the answers to the huge questions and problems and challenges that the world is facing. God's given us the stuff that we need. We are the salt. We are the light. So why don't we just do it? Amen? Yeah, why don't we just do that, man? I told, I told Willie on Sunday, our church doesn't talk back much, but we need to, like, up that a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, Edgar, Willie, I, um, I, th- I hope, I, th- I think my gratitude shows. Um, it goes all the way through me. Um, first of all, just for who you are and just for the unique ways that you've lived and loved this city. Um, for the work that you've done, uh, the way that you've kind of manned your posts, um, but then also the way that you've uh, loved me and our church, um, and then what you've given us this week. I feel like um, you've given us a really profound gift. And so I'm so grateful, and I, I honor you. And um, man, let's do this again sometime. Thank you. You guys want to say thanks to these guys? Wow. Wow. The Lord be with you, man. Thank you. Yeah, you can stay on your feet, guys, because we are uh, about out of here. Uh, let me re- re- remind you, uh, this Sunday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is a chance for us to do some really fantastic learning right here on um, adverse childhood experiences and the ways they get worked out in adult life, so don't miss that. And, uh, and then Ryan will be teaching us again one more week in this neighboring work that we're doing together, and uh, I know that I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, let me look you in the eye and offer you these words again. I think uh, tonight what's on my heart is that uh, these aren't abstractions but these are words that are meant to take on flesh and blood and show up in the neighborhood of South Bend. And so let me say to you, grace and peace be with you. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.